Hello, hello. Oh, yeah. There we go. I'm alive. My mic's alive. It's good to be here. Uh, for those of you who are watching the video and you saw the giraffe uh, costume, look in the giraffe costume, that's Jude. <laughs> so if you want to shake his hand, get his autograph after, you're more than welcome to. Um, he loves giraffes. And so it was roar, it was jungle theme, so the, the fact that there we could, he had an opportunity to wear his giraffe pajamas, actually, is what they are. He thought he'd jump all over it, and so wore it all day. And then there was this big styrofoam giraffe that they had there, if you were there. Um, and he's like, Mom, I want to take this giraffe home. And Kim's like, you know what, I'll appease your desire to take this giraffe home. You can go ask, but I'm pretty sure they're going to say no. And so Jude goes up. He's like, can I have the giraffe? And they're like, oh, yes, you can, of course, take this giraffe and take it home. And so we have this seven-foot giraffe now (laughs) down in our playroom, and he just thinks it's the best thing in the world. And so Jude is here with us. I only brought one of my four kids. For those who don't know me, Uh, I'm Jeremy. I'm the pastor at Creekside. We moved here in August with our family from Saskatchewan, and so we're coming up on a year. It's been a blast. Our kids are loving it. Our family is loving it. Uh, Creekside is in Lake Country, for those who don't know where that's at, and so (laughs) we are the pastors at Willow Park Church, Creekside, Lake Country. And so it's been an awesome journey for our family. I was here, I think, a month ago. It was what it was, and told about the journey coming here as we are going through journals. And so we open and look at the personal life of Jeremy and all my embarrassing stories and uh, the things I never did wrong. <laughs> but uh, like all of us, we've done wrong. So uh, we're going to open up with prayer, and then we're going to dive into the Word. Heavenly Father, I thank you that we can gather here to get today and worship you. Lord, I pray that as we come here and as we hear your word, that we're transformed by your word. Lord, that's our desire to worship you through, yes, music, through uh, everything that we do, and also through, our, through listening and hearing of the word. And so we thank you that it's alive and it's well, and that it transforms us and changes us. And so we pray that our hearts will be open to what you have in store for us today. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so as a kid, I, growing up, I was ultra-competitive, like, Everything was a competition. Uh, so I had an older brother, and naturally we compete against each other. But I remember playing this game for Nintendo. I'm not sure we're dating myself here, but Nintendo was like the Nintendo Switch of the day when I was like nine years old. And so for this Nintendo, there was this game called Tech Mobile. Does anybody remember this game, Tech Mobile? It looks, it looks pretty, like we look at our graphics today, we look at this. This was like, this was like, groundbreaking graphics 30 years ago. And so I had played, I spent my whole life up to that moment, my whole life as a seven-year-old, whatever that looks like, perfecting this game. Then I challenged my dad. He can't beat me. Of course he can't beat me. He has not picked up the remote ever. He's old. And so I'm going to crush him. And so he plays the game for the first time and beats me. And I was like, how can he beat me? And I ran off to the bathroom crying like somebody stole my lunch money and took my fanny pack. And so, for those, fanny packs are coming back. They're cool, if you don't know. And so, but then I can remember playing basketball with my friends. And we would play two-on-two basketball. Um, and it would get competitive. And we were there and just not screaming at each other. But we were getting pretty intense, throwing some elbows and like looking them pretty hard in the eye and saying, yeah, you're never going to score me. Our friendship's on the line. And so 
I remember one time, and so I played with a, I played with a bunch of the kids from my youth group, and we were playing, and one of the guys, he stops, he grabs the ball, and he's like, we need to pray. I'm like, what do you mean we need to pray? Like, we're playing basketball. And so this guy, oh, he's my best friend, Justin. God bless his soul. He kept us on the straight and narrow. And so he's like, we should have Bible study before we play basketball. We're like, like, what do you mean Bible study before we play basketball? I'm trying to get my extracurriculars in here, and I want to stay active. And so we love Justin. We appease him. We, play ba- we do Bible study before we play basketball. But then... Bible study would get intense with a bunch of guys. And so, I think the word says this. No, actually, I think it says this. Well, no, like six-day creationists, you're over here, and like we're over here. We're going to go settle this on the basketball court and see who's right. And so, (laughs) where am I going with these stories? Really, I have no idea. I just got caught up in the the emotion. (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) Why do I tell these stories? I'm going somewhere. We are driven in a society that wants to be first, to be the best. There's, there's this quote by Vince Lombardi. If you've ever heard of Vince Lombardi, coach of the Green Bay Packers, and he made this quote. He said, winning isn't everything. It's the only thing. And so we have a lot of this in our society. Winning is everything. Being first is everything. Getting to the top is where I need to be. It's what I strive to be. This year... And recently, I've been just stirred to read through Colossians, just going through it. I've gone through it, I don't know how many times, I think at least 10 times already. And every time I read it, I'm struck by this one word, first. I'm struck by the word, first. Let's look at Colossians a little bit. It was written during one of Paul's imprisonments. Paul had never met the Colossians. This church was planted by one of his best buddies named Epaphras. Paul is addressing two concerns. The first concern is this. The believers in Colossae seem to have been influenced by the culture around them in a way that warped their understanding of God. It warped how they viewed Christ, how they viewed Christ and God. And he's also addressing their concern about why he's always in prison, which seems like a good concern to kind of maybe talk about. Paul, what are you doing in prison again? If you haven't read through the New Testament in Paul, that seems to be his home. The city of Colossae was a fascinating place. It was a prosperous city tucked into a valley of middle, in the middle of modern-day Turkey. It was part of the Roman Empire. When it came to religion, the Romans had two basic guidelines, and these were the two guidelines they had. You can worship any god that you want. That's cool. Any god you want, that's fine. Don't say your God is the only God because that might lead to conflict or you think that you should be in charge. And so Rome was in charge. They were the ones in charge. If you said your God was the God who was above all, then that said to everyone, these guys should be in charge. Which is why it was such a big deal when Christ came and it's like, well, then he is the one that we should be following. And the empire was like, no, 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 we can't have that. And so, as the Roman, with many Roman cities of that day, Colossae was filled with temples and shrines to all kinds of gods. And the general mood was this. This was their mood. Find the God that works for you. In fact, feel free to smit, sample from the smorgasbord of gods and put a combo together that works best for you. Combo number five. Cool. You can have combo number five, God. You, whatever you want. It was like the golden corral of God options in the first century. You could find whatever God you needed for whatever you were searching. You could find it. If you needed better health, there was a God for that. 
If you needed fertility or prosperity, there was a God for that. If you needed protection, there was a God for that. There was even a temple in Colossae for the sewer God. Very true. I believe these guys were the gods. <laughs> these are the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. These are what I grew up playing with. I maybe still have their pajamas. So I'm not going to say yes or no, but yes. And so we see that the culture of Colossae had infiltrated the church. So this culture now that they had was starting to infiltrate the church. Yeah, I can have Jesus, but you know, I can add things on to him. And so their mentality was this, a Jesus and mentality. We worship Jesus and we embrace these other things to supply whatever Jesus might be lacking. I should take that picture down. So we worship Jesus and we worship, and we worship any other God that might you know, make us feel a bit better. They never rejected Jesus. They just added on to them. And how much do we think about this in our society today? Right? We like Jesus, the God of salvation, the God who saves the one who has come for us, the one who loves us, the one when we have a, a really big need we can come to. But is he everything to us? What Paul is trying to tell them, that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. We don't need to add on to Jesus. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. This is the message of Colossians. So let's open our Bibles to Zephaniah. No, I'm just kidding. We're going to open it to Colossians. Everyone looked at me. What are you talking about, Zephaniah? <laughs> so, Colossians, chapter 1, verses 15 to 20 is where we're going to read. Are we ready? If not, I think it's on the PowerPoint. We're going to look. Oh, yes. Awesome. And it says this, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. The word firstborn sometimes throws people off here. They assume it means Jesus was the first thing God created. As in, when I say Malachi, he's my oldest. He was the first thing that Kim and I created. In 2008, he didn't exist. In 2009, boom, there he was, Malachi. But that word, firstborn, can also mean position. We get, the pro, we get the word prototype from this, from this word firstborn. Jesus is the prototype of creation, the template of which all things were created, and the one whom they were created for. Just recently, I went on this uh, hike with Phil. And so when I say hike, I mean like a triathlon-type hike. Like, I've never hiked in my life. He was like, we're going to go on this 52-kilometer hike. And I'm just like, okay. And so, didn't even think about it, just said yes. And so we left at, I woke up at 4 o'clock in the morning to do something I never do, hike. And then we started hiking at 5 o'clock in Vernon. And we hiked all the way from Vernon to Joe Rich. And we finished at 8 o'clock. 
my body is still hasn't recovered. I remember getting home, like walking to the vehicle, trying to be like a man so they didn't see that I was hurting. And then I walked into the house and I was like, Kim, can you, I can't take off my shoes. Can you take off my shoes? I could barely get my foot up and she would untie my shoes as they, she was laughing at me and as my oldest was laughing at me. And so the bad thing about this hike, at the end of this hike, it kind of rained throughout the day. And then Jordan, the pastor at Glenmore, his wife was picking us up and she got lost picking us up. And it started to downpour, rain, and just rain, and just rain. And I'm sitting there, and Phil's dancing in the rain. I'm not sure why he's dancing in the rain. Maybe he's lost all sense of credibility in his mind. He's gone crazy. And then it starts to hail. And I'm not talking about a little hail. I'm talking about decent size, nickel-sized hail. And he's videotaping me. He's like, this isn't the best. I just look at him like, it's raining. It's hailing. Phil, I'm questioning my relationship with you right now as we speak. <laughs> and so, but as we're going through this hike, and as we're l- walking through and doing something I would never do, I'm overcome by creation. Overcome by the beauty of what he's created. Overcome that he is the firstborn overall. That this was in his image. That we get to walk and enjoy it. And I get to see it and I get to see, man, this is Christ, God with this. And he created this, he created us. And so, Colossians, he's saying he is first. He is the firstborn. Jesus is first. He is the one we are to follow. He's the one we are to be like. He's the one we are supposed to look like. In John, we're going through this series in John, and when it starts right off in John 1.1, 1, 1, it says, he, In the beginning was the Word, he was the, wor- the Word was with him, and he is the Word. He is the pattern we are to live by. So, it falls under this whole Trinity thing. Jesus is God. Jesus is the one we follow. And three persons, one God. And so everything was created by Jesus for Jesus. So I asked my kids, Were you created for mom and dad? I asked them this all the time. No. They say. They say it quite happily sometimes. Just kidding. This is a joke. You can laugh. Don't be like, well, those kids are dark. They're not dark. <laughs> they love me and, and, and my wife. I asked, were you created for yourself? Was this all for you, Malachi? Was this all for you, Zion? I say, no. Who were you created for? I was created for Jesus. Which means my primary purpose is to know, to discover his will, and to live it out. And I'll only find fulfillment when I know him and living out my purpose. This is what we tell our kids. You will only find fulfillment when you know and follow Jesus. Now, verse 18 to 20, it says this. And I want to read this over again. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. The NASB translates preeminent like this, first in everything. It says first in anything, if you have everything, if you have the NASB. And so here is my summation of Paul's logic here, as he's talking to Colossians. And as we're going to dive in and what it means to us. Jesus is first. Jesus is the creator of everything. The template of which it was made and the one for whom it was made. Let's see this. He's the image of the invisible God. So he is God. Firstborn over all creation. So he has a first position. Jesus created all. Therefore he has power over all. 
He is the head of the church. He is what we should glorify, nothing else. And he's firstborn of the dead. He defeated death, and he rules over that too. He is first over everything, first over all. And the point is that Jesus is not one of many beautiful things God has created. Jesus is the creating force and purpose behind them all. In Proverbs 8.27 says, When he established the heavens, I was there like a master workman. He was right there. So if Jesus first, secondly, we see that Jesus went first. And we're going to see that today as we do communion. This God, Paul says, pursued a relationship with us when we weren't looking for him. He pursued us in the midst of when we weren't looking for him. Always chasing after us. Always looking for us. He went to a bloody cross where he experienced torture and humiliation so he could buy us back voluntarily. He is first, then he went first. This is a crazy story. A story that's hard for some people to grasp. He transformed a view of love that we had no idea can be transformed by. He could have just wiped the slate clean, started over again, and been none the poorer for it. But he didn't, and he pursued us. I can remember hearing my pastor, uh, the founding pastor of the church I went to, when I was young, and I got to sit by him and listen to him, and he would talk about this, the gospel of Matthew, and then he would get to the point where Jesus was going to the cross. And you could just see everything just change. And just the realization, this man sought me when I was a stranger, wandering from the fold of God. He rescued me from danger, interposed his precious blood. This man, just overcome by the emotion that this, Jesus will go to the cross for us to reconcile this relationship with God. And so we see Jesus is first, he went first, and this is the take home. This is what I've been asking myself as I've been going through life, as I go through my journal, as I'm reading through Colossians. And it's a question we all need to ask ourselves. You're like, you're a pastor. Why should you be asking yourself this question? Shouldn't he just be this to you? But the question I keep asking myself that I want to keep on the forefront of my mind is this. Is he first? Is Jesus first? He went first, or he is first? He went first. Therefore, he should be put first. This kind of God can never be in the list of gods, one of the many important priorities in my life. He's not just a priority in my life. It's like, well, I need to make time for Jesus. He is my life. He's not just an important chapter in this story of Jeremy, which would be an amazing movie if anyone wants the copyrights for. <laughs> he is the book in which all the chapters are written. Everything that is written. My life for him. He exists in a class all by himself. Paul is going to say that what is true in their theology should also be true in their lives. That he might be first in everything. He has to be first in everything. He's like, we don't need to add on. You don't need to go to the smorgasbord and add on some Kentucky Fried Chicken and McDonald's to the Jesus that we already have. He is everything to you. He's in a class all by himself. Let's think of it like this. Is this being videotaped? It is. And so, my wife 
This is always a good story, right? When you say, my wife as a pastor. You, Kim, you were, at the, you were at the top of my list of women. What if I said that to her? I would come to church, two black eyes. I would say it wasn't her. But she is first. She is the one woman in my life. She is the one I'm committed to. She is, like I say in, in response to marriage, she is the one I have committed everything to. She is first. She's not these other women on the side. And so just like Jesus, he doesn't exist to be on the list list. He exists to be the list. Even more so with Jesus. He is why we exist. We were created by him and for him. That means he can never be merely an important commitment in our life. He must be first. Some translations say preeminent. That means the foundation, the center of everything. Preeminent. Right there in the middle. He is everything that should be surrounding our life. So, my question to you in this season. The question that you're probably like, I know what you're going to ask. And I'm not sure if I want you to ask this. I'm glad I'm only here for a week because these are tough questions that we need to ask ourselves. Does Jesus hold that position in your life? This isn't a condemning thing. This is something we should look like. Does he hold that position in my life? He's not a condemning God. He's the one who is full of love. We think of he went to the cross for us. Ultimate love. We can come to him knowing that he cares for us, that he wants the best for us but also that he has the best for us and that we should follow him. And so in simpler terms is this. Oh, wow. I've missed some PowerPoint as we've gone through here. Is he important to you or is he first? Just the point, is he important to me or is he first? I saw this graph and it's up here and it's just stages that believers can believe in. It's easy to move from being on mission to maintaining your faith. Missional faith is does whatever it takes. Maintaining does only what I'm asked to do. Missional faith assumes personal responsibility. Maintenance assumes someone else will kind of do it. Missional expects personal sacrifice. Maintaining uh, expects personal comfort. I'm with Jesus. He gives me everything I need. He brings me comfort. Missional sees problems and seeks solutions. Maintenance sees problems and complains. Missional sees possibilities and dreams about what could be. Maintaining sees barriers and reasons to quit. Missional hears the voice of God firsthand and owns the vision. I hear God. I'm part of this vision. I'm going for it. Make disciples? Yeah, I'm all for that. Maintaining inherits the vision secondhand and questions every decision. I'm not sure if we should talk to them that way. Missional steps out with bold, reckless trust in God. Maintenance sits satisfied in the stability of the institution. Missional fears holding anything back from God, maintaining a fear commitment. Missional feels privileged to be a part of the movement. Maintaining feels entitled to the benefits of the institution. These are tough questions I've been asking myself as I'm moving through this because I just want to be focused on Christ. I want Him to be first. Am I living missionally or am I just simply maintaining? Is he first, or is he just important to me because of what he can do for me? And so we ask ourselves, I'm asking myself this question, is he first place in my heart and in my affections? Is he first place in my obedience? What he wants should be the first consideration in anything that I do. Is he first in my priorities? Is he first in my time? 
Do I spend more time teaching my kid how to throw a slider? Or do I spend more time teaching about God? Do I spend more time worrying about climbing well, this, the workplace ladder? Phil, I'm coming after your job. Here I go. Just kidding, Phil. If you're watching this, I'm not coming after your job. I love you. I'm happy LA country. It's the best. And so, or am I seeking Jesus? Seeking for what he has in my life? Are all my workly, am I seeking all my workly, all my weekly commitments? My commitments to the kingdom of God, like small group ministry, volunteering? Or when something happens, are these the first things that go? God gave me a talent. He gave you a talent for a reason. Your workplace is a mission field. We've all heard this. There's courses and there's conferences on this. You should see your job as a means to get into a place to bring the gospel to people. The perfect opportunity. And to use the financial benefits of your job first and foremost to the kingdom. Which leads me, this is where we see our heart and this is where our finances, what we do, how we give shows where our commitment is. We can think of money in two different categories. First and best. Or the category of you know, good enough. You know, I, I'm pretty good at giving. But am I giving my first and my best? This is the first thing that I do. He wants all of you. I've used this analogy. I think this is, you can use this analogy. I give it to you. Someone gave it to me. It's an awesome analogy. I'm building up pretty sweet here. When you sit down to a breakfast of bacon and eggs, both the chicken and the pig had a part in bringing it to you. The chicken simply just made a contribution. Boop, popped out an egg. But the pig, however, it is fundamentally changed for the experience. The pig went all in. He gave all of his first. The pig, obviously, he died to bring you breakfast. The chicken simply made a contribution. I'm sure it's a lot of work to make that contribution of that egg. But... I want, don't want to be like a chicken in my life. I'm simply making contributions to Jesus or contributions to the church here and there. I want to be like the pig. I want to go all in, all in for Jesus. Everything I want to give to him. I want to be fundamentally changed by my experience, by my relationship with him. I want my life to say he is first. I want to be the bacon in my walk with Christ. I'm not sure if that's going to be on like your app, on your screensaver. I'm not sure if that's that kind of worthy, but think about that. All in for Jesus. Is he first? Is he everything? Listen, they didn't discard their faith in Colossians, right? He didn't say, you've discarded your faith. You've gone away from it. He said, you're just adding on to it. Colossians 2, 5, Paul says, you are very firm in your faith. He says it to the church of Colossians. He says, you are firm in your faith. But we can let other things become first in our life. And that's what this is about. Not to let other things become first in your life. Like, what about my kids? Of course they should have a place in your life. Of course you have this responsibility to look after them. It's a godly responsibility to take care of them. And be like, But we need to realize that we need to teach them. That they're there. That they can't be this idol that we put up here. We can make a step and feel like he is first in our lives. But there are more steps to make. I used to work at a Bible school, as I mentioned before, and students would come and they'd be like, I'm here, I made this commitment to Jesus. I'm at Bible school. That shows like I'm top-notch Christian. Boom, shakalaka. (laughs) And that would be it. They're just there. 
But the reality is they were there, but they didn't commit. They didn't give everything. They didn't, they're like, I'm here, I'm just listening in class, but they're not. There's something about showing up. Yes, it's very important, but there's something you have to do after you show up. Paul describes how valuable this has been in his life. In 1 Colossians, or 1 Colossians, wow. Top notch preacher right here. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 24, it says this Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you. Like, Paul, you rejoice in your sufferings? You're some kind of sadist. Like, what's wrong with you, Paul? He was in jail a whole bunch. There's things that happened to Paul. We're like, wow, that's, that's crazy. Or he, was he just so spiritual that he didn't care about trivial things like freedom and hot food and creature comforts? Was he so consumed by Scripture that he was oblivious to what was going on around him? No, like Paul, he liked those things, like the rest of us. He liked those things. But here is the thing about Paul. Joyful sacrifice is giving up something you love for something you love even more. I love those things. Comforts, yeah, I do like them, but you know what? I'm willing to give them up for something I love a whole lot more, and that is Jesus. I will joyfully sacrifice. I will joyfully go wherever he's called me to go. You're like, you moved from Saskatchewan to BC. That doesn't seem like a sacrifice. (laughs) But I moved my family out of their comfort. I moved my family out of what we were feeling comfortable out of to here. Yeah, it's a sacrifice. I joyfully did it because I love Christ. And you know what? If he called me to go to India, I'm going. And if I'm giving my kids up to him, if they're calling him to go to these places that seem scary, of course I'm like a human going to be like, I'm worried. But man, what better testimony than my kids sacrificing everything for Jesus? And Paul, he loved seeing people come to Christ even more than he loved his personal freedoms or creature comforts. And if he had to give up the latter to get the former, he's happily doing it. He's happily giving it all up. You rejoice in suffering when you love what you gain through suffering more than what you are giving up in suffering. Without the love, the joy, you'll never endure. I heard this compared to childbirth. I've never experienced. I never will. But before the birth of our first child, people always told me, oh, childbirth is so beautiful. Having been present during four childbirths, I can tell you there really isn't anything beautiful about it. I remember sitting there, and Kim hit, they're all C-sections, and like, the first one was an emergency C-section, and I'm like, there's all these cords like, over my lap and behind me, and I'm, I'm pretty like, not squeamish, but I remember being like, I'm going down. Like, I'm passing out right now. And so, and it was kind of scary, because it was an emergency C-section, Malachi's heart rate dropped, and things were happening that were like, I'm, I'm so afraid, what's going to happen here? And my wife went through so much pain, so much discomfort, so much anguish. The recovery was long. And she had, and you know what, then she had um, a yeast infection and powered through um, breastfeeding. And then she joyfully went and got pregnant all again. And then again. And then again. And then again, just kidding. We were done it for. <laughs> she went through this all this voluntarily because she knew there's something beautiful came out on the other side. Four wonderful children. 
she gave, she sacrificed her discomfort for something that she loved even more. And so, the question today is, are we sacrificing our comfort for the one that we love even more? Let's pray. And I'll call up Dan and we're going to have communion. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and how it challenges us. And Lord, it maybe can make us feel a little bit uncomfortable as we sit in our seats and you're like, oh, I don't want you to say that. Lord, but the great thing about it is we're, we're actually faced with something, that a decision on what to do. And we know on the other side of that decision, as we follow you, that someone is there who loves us deeply. And as we partake in communion today, we're going to see that deep love that you have for us. That, yeah, it's going to feel a little bit uncomfortable, but man, you are so going to guide us in a perfect way because you are a loving, caring Father. You are the one who sacrificed for us first. And you've already made the greatest sacrifice, the greatest one, so we wouldn't have to go do what you just did for us. And so we are just called to follow you, to lay it all down for you, Put you first, the preeminent one, the one that everything should revolve around. So that's the challenge today. Where are you? Are you important to me or are you first? Amen. And Dan, if you want to come up.